Hello everybody, welcome to episode 48 of the Great Divide podcast. This episode contains the second part of the discussion on Tony Butler's album The Great Unknown. I am Svein, my co-host for this particular episode is Arlen Bartels, and we are ready for pleasure time. Yeah, so this one, you start off with a great Hammond organ intro, and then a terrific Celtic, you know, anthemic guitar figure, and some really great strong bass playing. This, this to me, is some of the strongest musicianship on the album, and, and now we've, we've gone through the, the gentle spring morning, and we're back into some political lyrics, which are some of the ones that I, that I always like the most from Big Country. You know, this is, this is one that basically... Um, I'm still I'm still trying to understand really what it's specifically referencing for, but it's certainly talking about the interaction of the common people in with the government, and the way the government tries to give you pleasure time, sort of the soma from Brave New World, you know, to try to to put the the populace um, to sleep. So we've gone from a very with very interdirected lyrics from the previous couple of songs um, to being very much more of a um, screed against the government and uh, I think this actually could have really have been a, a, a big country outtake song more than some of the others I think the lyrics and the bridge might have changed and I think with Stuart singing it um, I think that I, th- I think this one really would have not sounded out of place on either Buffalo Skinners or Why the Long Face um, there's, a, there's a terrific solo that, that comes about halfway through and then a kick drum that comes partway later. That which one of the this is, I think this is one of the ones that this is one of the ones that Mark plays on, right? This is the one Mark plays on. Yeah, and you do notice that, especially with the kick drum part that comes in. It's almost um, similar to what he did on President Slipped and Fell. So, this is one that that sort of reorients you back from the domestic parts, which are you know his internal emotions. The last few songs and is again an outward directed one. So, you know the. Normally, I sort of bristle when you have sort of the the double layers of like an announcer doing spoken word overlays while the person's singing. But I actually think it makes sense here, where you've got the announcer saying something and um, and then him sort of repeating it back. So yeah. you know, I think this is this is him sort of exercising his political chops in a way that he hasn't done really in the previous songs up to this point. So I actually like this one quite a bit. At the start, this was my favorite. Uh, the first few times, it was my favorite song because. I really, I, I love the musicianship on it. This is sort of what I was looking for out of a big country album if it had come out in 1997. Mm. So maybe this is what I would have been wanting to hear at that point. But then, you know, there, there, there are some... The chorus is not my favorite chorus, I have to say. That's the part that sort of loses it for me a little bit. What brings it back to me is just that that really great instrumental solo part that starts about halfway through. So, 
Um, overall, it may not be the most important song they've written, but it does seem like it would have fit in well with the with, with what BC was doing at the time. Hmm. But I, I think you probably have a different take on it. I'm listening with great interest because uh, I um, this this is one that I've always struggled with. Pleasure time. It's it's not. Um, it was not an immediate song, and I think um, I think I like it more now than I did. But I'm not sure if it changed its place on the album because of it. And uh, I'll mention a couple of examples. One being Mark's heavily syncopated, might I add, guest appearance. I mm-hmm. think I think too little is made out of Mark being the drummer. I feel like it's very much reined in. And I, if if we play this song next to other song and we play a game called Guess Which One Mark's Drum On. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I would have picked this one. <laughs> I, I, th- I think it's really reined in as, as far as this being Mark. I, I don't hear the trademarks, at least not to the degree I'm used to. And uh, I'll, I'll go back and listen again, but it, it's never hit me like, wow, now it's Mark time. No, it really isn't. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm too caught up in other things. Like the melody of the chorus, uh, where, where I would agree with you, it's it's a little weaker than the, the verses. Mm-hmm. But I think the music holds it back. I think it's not a very hummable song. So, I don't know, I'm I'm still struggling with it. I guess we're missing uh, an acoustic version of this song, similar to acoustic version of May Queen. But, uh, <laughs> to turn yeah, me around... Maybe that's what I would think. I would say that it, it isn't overtly Mark Isham. I think I even had to ask you if it was Mark's here at the start, but what I do remember is the kick drum part, partway through was, was fairly distinctive in a way that um, mm-hmm. Jameson's style really wasn't playing. And, and there was, I think part of what hit me on this one is, from a music standpoint... It sounded like they were playing as a band together. There are some of the songs that almost sound like they could have been assembled in a conventional way among you know separate parts being combined together at the mixing board, hmm. especially um, living side by side felt that way to me. But this is one that does feel organic as it goes through, like they really were playing together. And musically, I don't, I don't know why I feel this way, but it sort of felt like maybe that was one they wrote with that group live in the studio as opposed to Tony bringing it to the studio. I'm sure with May Queen, that was a song he'd written at some point and actually brought that to the studio in almost already ready-to-record form. And this one sounds... It, it, it parted with the uncertainty with it. It almost feels more like something that might have been written in the studio. Mm-hmm. I would wager to say you're correct. And uh, the clue there is in who's appearing on the song, which is Mark and Josh. And yeah. I think I think with with that lineup being very strongly big country related, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the leftovers that go back over the years. And like you said, a lot of the songs on the album come from various times. And maybe this was just done at the time in studio where Mark was around, and Josh wasn't really around in the studio until uh, Driving to Damascus, which comes after this. But He's on here, and there seems to be a big country connection, so maybe <laughs> maybe they got together and did it that way. But one thing that is interesting to me is, is the lyrical themes, because they uh, this is this is a very unusual song. It, this song is like no other song on this album. To me, this is almost like a spy drama from the 1960s, with huh. lots of cheerful government official paranoia in it. Like, <laughs> like the words say, drink a cup of pleasure time, treat yourself, and you'll feel fine. Pleasure time is all you need to live your life in harmony. So pleasure time is actually a concussion 
that the citizens of this state or city or whatever area you're talking about are drinking and it leads to marvelous things. You get this utopian society where there's no jails. No jails are needed because there's no crime. And everybody's happy and jolly because they're all kept that way because of this wonder drink. So mm. the character who is relaying this story of this society seems to be the one, the only guy who's holding out, who hasn't right. drunk, and who's observing these things. And because of that, he has this government official that follows him everywhere and keeps an eye on him. So it, it's all very mysterious, and that's why I think of these spy dramas of the 1960s. It, it strikes me as one of those, maybe like it could be The Saint, or maybe in particular I'm thinking of The Prisoner, which was a show with Patrick McGowan, who plays the one guy in the village who refuses to give in to what the local management is trying to make him do. And they play this elaborate cat-and-mouse game with the attempt to break each other. And he, he holds out. We want information. Who are you? The new number two. Who is number one? You are number six. I am not a number. I am a free man. <laughs> and I, ha I see it in this song there's this one guy who holds out and refuses to drink this cup of pleasure time so mm. it's a very unusual song it's almost straight storytelling like this is Tony's uh, spy novel put in song form and that actually warms me considerable to the song And but I think the music holds it back I think it's not a very hummable song but it has a lot going for it, and it's one song that I appreciate. I wouldn't rank it amongst the best, but uh, to me it's uh, a number 12. Yeah, no, it's, and it's interesting, before I give my, my score, um, that, that your take on it about a spy, a spy novel, because I really got a 1984 sort of Brave New World vibe out of it. Cool. And maybe it's, maybe it's because in the U.S., you know, government surveillance and our personal lives is such a hot topic and has been for a little while. So, you know, the... The part about rewriting your memories, regaining your souls, um, and you know, yeah. the, the, this, these are lyrics that make more sense to me in 2015 than they did in 1997. Actually, uh -huh. the lady with the big smile gave me lots of money and asked if I could stay for a while. You know, the, <laughs> the, there, there's just there, there's a there's a sort of a foreboding of there being sort of a dark cloud um, sitting over them, and like you say, he's the one person who's resisting drinking the cup of pleasure time. Um, although he's giving in and singing back the same lyrics that the announcer has too, so it's like he's struggling against what he's being fed by the government. So yeah. it's I, I think that th this is actually a short story in song form. Yeah, that I think would be I, I, I think this is I think there's some interesting concepts here and some interesting topics. And I know it it, it obviously didn't resonate with you emotionally at all, but it's um, I think. I think there's something that's worthwhile in this song enough that I found it interesting enough that I put it all the way up at number three. Quite a bit different from yours. Yeah, that's the biggest discrepancy we have so far. Probably. <laughs> no, and and uh, obviously these things will never resonate with me emotionally, but it does resonate with me as far as curiosity and intellectually. It's a good story. It's an interesting story. And if this was a movie, I'd probably watch it. <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, That's pleasure time. Old money next. Winter sun hangs high above a cold and wretched world. Streets once paved with gold to fill the souls like flags unfurled. And you were in a castle in your privileged cocoon. And I can hear the nation cry its fear and bloom. To me, the album dips a little in the middle. 
because we have three songs in a row that aren't as strong and I'm afraid Old Money is the main culprit uh, for me Um, this concept of Old Money versus New Money just just to mention that Old Money refers to those who are born into wealth Uh, aristocracy and people who have the right breeding comes from a good family are considered to have the appropriate taste etc sort of bred into wealth New Money refers to people who don't come from that background but either worked their way up to wealth or came across a large amount of money um, quickly so at least historically they were looked down on as lacking the proper background not having good taste displaying their riches in tacky ways etc so old money is the old elite uh, so this song being about how old money i.e. the rich and powerful seem to pull the strings and make the decisions that impacts people's lives while living in a quote-unquote a castle into your privileged cocoon in your privileged cocoon And I can hear the nation cry It's feeling blue So Tony is definitely sharing uh, It comes across how he feels about that <laughs> Especially in Britain where they have such a, a much stronger social hierarchy than we do in both of our countries and mm-hmm. most other countries probably So about the old money i.e. the, the rich and aristocrat and, and those people not necessarily being connected to the real lives and the understanding of what is happening and the impact it would have so you see all about that in this song so um, I think it's well dis- described um, doesn't resonate with me no it doesn't it, it's well described I appreciate the song but this is never going to make me feel like this song is for me or about me or, or, or resonate with me that doesn't make it a bad song it, it wouldn't rise to the top it would never have the hooks that lift it uh, but as far as musical it it doesn't work for me there either I think this song simply does not have what a lot of the other songs on this album have which I think primarily is the melody and this is worse off than, than Pleasure Time I don't think this melody is, is strong at all it's, it's actually the only one on the album I would describe as directly weak uh, there's nothing on it I would describe as hummable so Tony is very often passionate on this album, but on this song, in his delivery, the way he sings these words, he almost sounds muted, or maybe studied is a better word, rather than passionate. So that also makes me feel like, oh, okay, it doesn't quite hit it here for me. And, <laughs> well, uh, the last I'll say before I let you s- save it, the, <laughs> so- the, the song is nearly four minutes long, and the last minute and a half consists of old money being sung over and over again with some other lines thrown over the top here and there but this is just madness how this section of the song <laughs> drags on because of it if you listen once you notice it you can't unnotice it, it he sings old money over and over again for a minute and a half and if the song was over at two and a half minutes <laughs> don't sing the title over and over for another minute and a half find a way to end it So that just punctuates the song. That um, doesn't start off well and doesn't really engage me emotionally. It doesn't have the melody and the end drags. So uh, it's no surprise probably where I'm going with this in terms of placing it on the album. But uh, I'm interested in your take on it. 
Well, I'm not going to try to redeem it all the way to the top. There's a few things I'll, I will say. As an American, this hits me as the most English song on the album. Yeah. You know, the the idea of old money and social hierarchy um, is one of the things that Americans love about England and that also mystify us about it because, of course, the myth of America is that anyone can, can you can't become old money, but you can become young money. And so the, the idea of, you know, the, there being a social structure where the rich stay rich generation after generation and those who are on the dole stay on the dole the whole time you know that's something that is an interesting idea but it, it talks about you know the how the rich and noble fire their eyes when they see the the um, the problems of the poor people yet turn a blind eye to it and that's of course become you know increasingly how America's gone as well but you know it's still it's it's an it's he's taking the side of the proletariat obviously against the aristocracy which is the obvious voice to take to be the voice of the people but I actually think there's some things that are I think it's a, a very distinctive song from a couple of ways um, it's not a song type that I've ever heard before and we're gonna come to the next song which to me sounds like a lot of songs I've heard before musically but this is one that 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 doesn't sound exactly like any other song I'd ever heard mm -hmm. um, actually the closest song that that sort of hit me of for some reason, of Devil in the Eye from Damascus a little bit. Mm. Uh, I actually think that Tony's vocals are, are interesting here because he normally sings in such a high register, and he does that at the very end, but for a big chunk of the song, he's actually in a lower register, including you know on the harmonies. And the verses are sort of have an unusual structure. So as you're listening to it, you're saying, well, this is different. Um, is, it, is it a great song? No, no. And I do agree it goes on a little bit long. But I think actually the very end is some of his strongest singing when he goes when he finally does leave the lower register and he goes to the higher register on the hold the ace to the blood line years. I think that line he actually is is some of to me I think it's some of the best singing on the album. Yeah, the lines that he sings over the old money that goes mm -hmm. on. Yeah, some of those are are pretty good, but uh, at that point the song is dragging. It's it's too late <laughs> for me anyway. I did think at that point that he that he uh, he got to the end and didn't know how to stop the song, and so yeah. he just kept going with the next reverse, hoping that something would come to mind and it just sort of fades out. Because God knows how long that song actually goes if they hadn't faded <laughs> it out at the end. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> And even for old money, for where I place it on this album, which is no surprise to anyone, it's my number 14. But if, if a longer version is released, I'd, I'd go for it. As long as they're not just repeating the chorus over and over. <laughs> I, I have no hopes in that regard. <laughs> so where do you rank it? Well, you know, it's, it's not one that I really like or would embrace, I would say, but I find it really interesting just because it's, I think it's very distinctive and very unusual. So for its for the curiosity value of it being just so different, I've got it in at number seven. Okay, that's a lot of curiosity. <laughs> well, you know, the older you get, the more you like something. When you hear something say, "Well, that's interesting," I haven't, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah, and maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> I couldn't explain the wars I couldn't explain the revolution 
Well, this one is actually one that I struggle with, you know, because to me, it's the sound of the song. It's a very conventional American sounding, you know, country rock type song. It's the, down to the walking bass line and the hand claps and the keyboard lines and a standard rock blues solo. It sounds like the sort of thing that you, could, you, you would hear coming out of a, a, a hundred bars on, an, on, on an, a Friday night in America anywhere. So, I mean, it's bouncy and melodic, but it's, you know, it really reminds me of, uh, on the Journey Tour, I saw it on, on five U.S. dates, and in every one of those dates there, well, except for the one in Leesburg, where Tom played, and the other places, um, there were just local bands that weren't very good, you know, just any sort of generic bar bands, and and I couldn't get past the sound on this song to me, you know, the 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 lyrics are not bad, but this the after maybe it was just after hearing what to me seemed like an unconventional song, this one seemed just so normal, so staid, so typical that um, it, it's it's the only one that I end up skipping as I, as I listen through them. So mm. I don't actually have a lot to say on this one. This one really just isn't very distinctive to my ears. Right. What's your take on the lyrics? They are interesting. Um, you know, especially the Lord, you've been a long time coming. You don't go away. You're here to stay, and I'm pleased to see you. You know, this is one where it's you would think it's a religious song, yeah. but it's not to me, um, especially right off the start. You know, I couldn't explain discrimination when people say we're free. I couldn't explain the United Nations, but I know why I'm here. So it's not a it's not a religious yearning song. I think at the start. Now, of course, you have that second verse. Um, it doesn't seem to connect to me in a way that, it, that religious songs typically do. Right. No, it's it's kind of interesting because to me this song is unique in the fact that the, what this song represents is something that I never listened to. So mm -hmm. to me this is unique and interesting. How about that? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't I don't go to every bar in America where this evidently is played, and that that is a heck of a <laughs> lot better than all the bars over here. Let me tell you, <laughs> if, if if they played stuff like this, I would I would actually be quite a happy pony. But uh, as far as the musical uh, aspect of this song, this is the second of the two songs on the album that features Mark. Mm -hmm. Again, a, a rather nondescript part. I'm, rea I'm really disappointed with Mark's contributions on this album in terms of, well, it's good, it's not bad, but you have to think, this is Mark, right? That's what it is. Mm -hmm. This is Mark, so you, it doesn't sound like Mark. And Mark doesn't give the trademarks. And especially this song... Is the most guilty of that, I think, of the two. Even though I, I have my issues with the other one too. This has this has nothing, uh, and maybe that's too harsh. Maybe people will come to well. What about that little part there? Well, forget the little part there. This is Mark. This doesn't sound like a Mark song. This sounds like at best someone who throws in a Mark thing once I a think while. There's a very real chance that the liner notes are incorrect. Yeah, I I I, I have to. I have to remain puzzled about that, which means that there may be another song that Mark actually is on. So that's another thing for us to start guessing about. <laughs> but uh, the song definitely has a bouncier rock and roll feel. Very different from Big Country. Very different from anything else I have in my collection. I think my wife has a lot of these things, but that doesn't mean I listen to them. The brass flourishes. I think they're fun. It's not something I would want on every song. And it's, uh, it's definitely not close to my heart, but I can get past them. I, I don't mind it. Uh, because they're not that often. It, it's a little chorus flourishing. Uh, the one moment in the song that makes me smile, that because there is one, is when Tony says...
guitar. guitar. And you get this short French solo, and that um, yeah. that 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 makes me smile every time, and that's great. A song that has those moments that makes me smile, fantastic. I wish the song had a few more of those, but that that one is is very cool, very cool it's indeed. The part you wait for. That's right. That's the Shah of the, of this album. That's the Shah. Yeah, that, that that's right. It's it's very cool. So uh, the chorus is actually super catchy, but the verses are not equally strong. In fact, the verses are uninteresting. I, I I get what you're saying. If this is something that surrounds you, and now Tony sings it too, that that would turn you off from the song. I, I totally see that. But it, it raises the question. You know, this this album is Tony trying to be the bands he likes, and you say it sounds like a lot of other things. And he's definitely succeeding with sounding like someone else on this song. I just have no clue who it is. I'm afraid it's Huey Lewis in the news. Well, I actually know them reasonably well. They never sounded like this, did they? <laughs> it's it's the um, it's the brass stab of the keyboards. Okay, I have to take your word for it. I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Your your guess is as good as mine there. But the the lyrics are are very interesting because for the bouncy playfulness of of the music, they seem to be superficial on some levels, but then they go deep on others. Like the world is in a pretty desperate state here. And uh, this guy who is singing these words, he doesn't know really why a lot of things are happening, but he sees that a lot of things are wrong. The world clearly needs saving, because it's not going to save itself. And that's why I think, is this song really about the coming of the Lord? And will it really take the coming of the Lord to set things right? Like, uh, it's uh, Lord, you've been a long time coming. Like, we waited for you to come, but don't go away. You're here to stay, and I'm pleased to meet you. And uh, open your eyes towards the skies. Can you see heaven? Like, everything is fine. You are here. You will put things right. So I, I definitely do see the religious things, but it almost seems more like a lighthearted thing than a deep, personal thing. It's almost like a little joke. What did we do when, uh, when the Lord appeared after all these years? It is about, you know, the second coming of Christ who then, that, you know, especially in, um, in American evangelical standards, there's always the thought exercise about what will you say to, to Jesus when he comes back the second time about how we've handled society the last 2,000 years. Yeah, and so yeah. I think that's the, I couldn't explain the religions, the persecution, the abolition, and the generation. And so I kind of, I, I got this to be sort of, uh, I'll say lighthearted, like you said, that, mm-hmm. uh, that Jesus has come back has seen what we've done with the world and has decided not to stick around and to leave again. And so he's saying, please don't go away. You've been a long time coming. I know it's screwed up, but don't don't leave. Here, we've got guitar. It's definitely lighthearted, and I also definitely think it is about that, but um, combined with the music, it just turns into this jaunty party. I can't describe it well. I think we've said all that needs to be said about this song, really. It is what it is. It doesn't provide any solutions. It provides a few snickers and clearly some annoyance at your part. Where do you place it? <laughs> well, it's not. It's probably not a surprise. Uh, some song had to be 14, and so I give it that one. Yeah. It gets the dubious prize. Yeah, I'm really not far off, which might surprise you, given that I I had some positive things to say about it, but I have it at number 13. 
Oblivion Road. We said a couple of times, this album is Tony trying to be all the bands that he has loved over the years. I actually know which band he's trying to be here, and it's probably oh. not a difficult guess. But this goes back to when the album was new, and Tony would drop into the chat room from time to time. And uh, I said some songs are grower, and some songs were immediate. And Oblivion Road to me was one of the uh, immediate ones. I latched onto that like nobody's business. This was my favorite song the first uh, at least half year. And it's still one of my favorite songs. So I told Tony, I said, Oblivion Road is really cool. And he said, yeah, I wrote that for The Who. So this is Tony trying to write a song in the style of The Who. And uh, once you know that and start listening to it with that kind of mindset and those hats, you, you kind of hear it. And I thought, you really wrote this for the Who? <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, I did." And uh, thinking about it in hindsight, obviously he knows the Townsends, both of them, yeah. and he uh, he has those connections. He could well have done that and given it to him, given it to Pete or, or someone. But just to have the nerve to give a song to to Pete, uh, clearly he didn't do it, and he used it himself. Well, that's good for him. This is this is one of the great ones on the album. So, uh, starting with the riff, the, the intro. What a great riff! Holy smokes, that, that that is so cool. And also, not never mind the galloping riff, but also the riff played on top of that, mm-hmm. before the drums kick in, before the bass kick in. And, and speaking of the bass, Tony's bass is resurfacing on the with a boom really on Oblivion Road. This is rock bass. He plays it and it's really powerful again. He turns it up. Maybe not to eleven, but it's it's really up there. And that, that that's cool to hear because uh you, we we talked about how solo albums from bass players you go into it expecting a lot of bass heavy things display your skills but very often they will branch out and play guitar or other things and certainly we didn't get any bass dance part 2 on this album <laughs> but um, on Oblivion Road we, we do get some rock moments but I think primarily what hits the song for me is the vocal melody. It's it's really good. The singing is almost inspired. And I'm not just talking about how much emotion it is and how much that works, but listening to the melody and how high he goes. He hits those notes and it's really clever. This is not a vocal melody that just follows the melody line that's played by the guitar or just sings it straight out. He's really, really creative. It works for Tony. It, it, it really hits. It, it's almost inspired. So the verses are strong. But the chorus is also strong. And the bridge is great. It just comes together. So just the sheer quality of the music and the melody lines and uh, the creative that that the Fonito putting it together. And this song uses the old trick of starting with the chorus Mm -hmm. and then going into the verses. I love it. It works fantastically. 
when you start with the chorus, that gives you a chance to almost treat the verses like the chorus. It uh, it adds so much to the song; it really fits. Uh, but the lyrical themes are the clincher, because this is a song about uh, addiction, and it's very uh, sad in a lot of ways. We talked about religious themes; it could fit into that, but also. Tony said it was about addiction, so I know it's about addiction. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sure, because you can't be sure. It's written like you, you, uh, you basically talk to your savior. This is your savior. And when he sings, you are my only hope, my now or never, sick and tired of the way I feel, I need your heaven. Sadly, the only hope he mentions and the heaven he mentions is not someone else who can save him. It's the dope. Mm-hmm. So um, when he says, I'm facing the world on my own, yeah, who am I fooling? Like, again, going back into the thing, the pattern that you have with, with addicts, that they will lie and they will, they will fail to come through time and time again. Not just lie to others and fail others. They primarily lie to themselves and fail themselves. But the clincher, the emotional hook for me is actually the verse when he sings, When I was a boy. And uh, he tried, he felt alone, he took some chances, lost romances, lost his home. Things went bad, and you are my only hope. Things go bad, he turns to dope. And uh, so it's really sad, and the fact that he goes back to when he was a boy, because there are moments of clarity in everybody's life when you think back and wonder how, how did things go bad. And the fact that this is a person who has moments of clarity, and they're going through this thing and sitting in a shithole, it's really, um, it really hits it because the song never hit me that way. And then I had the fortune of, of talking to Tony, or unfortunate in some cases, because he ruined some of what I thought the song was about, and it's really more desperate than I ever would have imagined. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, no, that, that was an interesting insight because the song can go a lot of ways. It can go the religious way, but it's taking a walk down Oblivion Road. It's a, it's a, it's a one way stop, really. It ends bad. So, um, it's, um, it's a very, very bleak song when you think of it in those terms. But the delivery and the power of the music and everything, it makes it a very powerful message. And a very, it's kind of like when he sings, it's my choice, it's my life, am I lost, will I survive? It's basically, well, it might be a very bad idea and I might not come back, but it's my choice. It's kind of like the defiant last words, and it it really chills me. So uh, this song has a lot of impact, and it it falls into the category you mentioned that I don't want to be in this situation. I want to associate myself with it, but it can be any kind. It's um, any kind of addiction, really. When I say drugs, it it can be alcohol. It can be anything, and uh, a lot of people will know people who've been on that path, and that's uh, that's not a good path. I think a lot more people than we realize will will have hooks to hang this song on. Mm-hmm. So um, 
No, it's it's a very powerful song in a lot of respects, both musically and lyrically. Yeah, I think you said the right thing that all all of us know somebody who can hang their hooks on with that song. I, I like that. The um, to me, you know, I, maybe it is dope because of the, the the heaven reference, but to me, it, it would just as easily fit alcoholism. Yeah. And it it to me, it's definitely not a spiritual release because. You know, with sick and tired of the pain you feel, I need your heavens. The next, the next line is the most important. Well, yeah, I'm facing the world on my own. See, if you if it was a religious release, then you're you're not facing the world on your own. The whole point is you are no longer alone. If it's a religious redemptive experience, but mm-hmm. here, once he receives the heaven, he feels back strong again, and he's facing the world on his own until he realizes who is he fooling. You know, so to me, it it very much shows the 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 deal that you make with substance abuse where you get that temporary high but even as you're having that high you realize that it's not working for you either so you know oblivion road is as good a metaphor for drug addiction or for alcoholism as as anything so i think that's i think it's a i think it's a very powerful hmm. mood that it sets and maybe it is an old technique but i haven't heard it very often i love leading in with a good, with a chorus like that because when they do it by leading in with that first chorus it's in lieu of a guitar riff or an instrumental riff and so that chorus is like the riff of the song and I think it's a great way to to set that so I I think the singing to me personally I think it might be the best singing on the entire album especially when he's at the um, you know the sick and tired of the pain I feel I need your heaven he's singing it like he knows what he's talking about and I don't know much about his background or if there are other people I I thought it for a while it might be sort of a veiled reference to some of Stewart's earlier alcoholism issues that's probably reading way too much into it it's it's a more universal song than that but the truth is that that is how anyone who we know that I I don't know people who have dope issues I know a fair number of alcoholics and the chorus describes alcoholism as well as any yeah. as well as any quatrain I've ever heard. It does. Yeah, it really does. It, it hits it home. It's, um, I, I don't think you can sit on your own isolated self and, and um, without having experienced something or, or someone mm-hmm. to write a song like this. So that's, that's the chilling part. But uh, the fact remains, this is one kick-ass song on every level. I think musically... It's just fantastic. He could have sung the phone book with those melody lines, <laughs> and, and I would have had the same goosebumps. But of course, the fact that the lyrics pack a punch and, and really are deep uh, adds to it. It really sounds like he's really into it and enjoying the the singing and, and playing of the song. He, there's a in in spite of the the darkness of the lyrics, there's sort of a joy in the playing that um, is counter to the deepness of the lyrics. Mm. All right, so Oblivion Road, how do you rank it? Oh, number one for me, man. That, that song's a winner. Oh, great. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites, too. And I already spent my number one, but I still have my number two. So I will definitely give that to this one. Well, to be fair, you did say six months into this album, it was your number one song. And since I'm less than six weeks into this album, you know, things may change as we go along. So I'll just say that my, my first reaction is the same as your first reaction, just 18 years apart. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The truth remains. This is one of the best ones. Uh, that brings us to song number eleven on the album. How many times? You give me, give me time to spend, give me room to care, give me love so rare, so bright, so fair, 
This is a very interesting, very straightforward, very heartfelt love song, it seems to me, about separation. And out of the the bad relationship that he'd had earlier on, it seems like he's got one now that's a, a great relationship, but he's away from that person so much. And so he's describing how that person is filling him and filling his spirit, but talking about that, you know, it won't be long until he's back with them. And um, I, I think it's, you know, it's it's... Love songs are a tricky thing because they can be trite, they can be banal, and even sometimes almost the same lyrics can actually be very emotional and very passionate. And yeah. this one seems very sincere to me. And it, it seemed like he is, he, to me, he's directly singing this song to someone. The, West, the rest of us are allowed to listen in, but this is really a song he's written for a particular person to hear at a particular time. I kind of think about, you know, John Cusack holding the big stereo up to the window to try to get the girl to hear. I mean, this is this is really this is a song that's almost embarrassing to be listening in on because it's really his one-sided conversation. He's going he's singing to someone. And mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's very beautiful. The the guitar lines are nice. It's it, it's sort of a it's as close to a jangle pop style of, of song it wouldn't have sounded out of date in the 80s with you know like a band like the the railroad children or um, grapes of wrath or somebody like that and it's got a, a sort of an unusual bridge with the key change partway through that i thought was interesting too but this is this is really a, obviously a deeply personal song with really um really beautiful vocals as well so um i didn't i didn't go into the lyrics deeper than that because i kind of felt i was intruding on a conversation that i wasn't supposed to be listening to mm. Yeah, that's true. It's it's definitely very personal and uh, very directly to someone. And this is totally the romantic. Um, talk yeah. talk about having your heart on your sleeve. I've said that a few times, no more evident than in this song. And and I even said this before that he doesn't sing any "I love you, baby" songs. And this is no "I love you, baby." This mm-hmm. is an utterly honest expression of deep love to someone, and it is so touching that uh, this song hits me very deeply. And you can say what you want about Tony's voice. I think you, you mentioned Oblivion Road as being the best vocal performance. To me, that is how many times. How many times is is perfect. The delivery on this song lacks nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And I also think the lyrics... It's very hard to write a good love song. Because is there anything more cliched than a mm. love song? No, there isn't. It's the most cliched thing you have of all. And especially rock so- uh, love songs in, in rock and roll or in, in the rock format. It's the most cliched thing you have. So <laughs> what? Wh- where does that leave Tony? Well, it, it, leaves, it leaves him one way to go. And that is to go for the utter sincere and personal delivery to someone. And just to look at the way the song starts when he sings. You give me. I think it's beautiful. I think these words are some of uh, some of the most cliched topic, but he really manages it. And he's not afraid to go all the way out. He says, You fill me full of lust, rich as ivory tusk, from dawn to dusk, but leave I must, you fill me. He's, it's very clear that his love for this other person is spiritual, it's physical, it's everything. Fill me full of lust, rich as ivory tusk. 
And um, it's not tacky, you know, even though you, there's definitely references to sex in the song. We, we have people wondering where's all the sex on the album. Are we going to talk about all the sex that's on the album? This is probably it, but it's not tacky. It's not, I, I can't really go to town on the song, on the sex in the song, like I can all the, the, the enormous amounts of sex in the teacher. This is a different kind of song. <laughs> this, this is so earnest. And when he, when he goes on to sing, how many times did I resist your calls to come? How many times did I resist your calls to It's, uh, it's, it, it deploys the same technique he's done a couple of times with the repeating of a theme and repeat of a format. And here, I think, it works best of all the examples we had on the album because they feel so heartfelt. They really get to me. And um, I'm, uh, I'm feeling more privileged to be part of, of such a thing. I think every woman in the world would hope that one day they, they meet a man who can be so sincere and so loving and, and tell them, tell them that in the same way that Tony tells it to the person he addresses in this song so I, I, I'm really touched by this song and this is a grower this is a song that came from th this took years to grow on me uh, not that I disliked it but um, you need to really sit down once the, the, the ones you hit right off the bat are the Oblivion Roads and the Rockers and even the title track or, or th songs like that these are the songs that come from behind and that sort of on the long stretch of the race, to, to use that analogy again, kind of just prove themselves. And you can't dismiss it. And over time you just notice, you know what? He is singing so beautiful in this part. And it's, it really touches me. And uh, I sit down and I listen to it. And also when, when he gets into the song a bit, the way he arranges it to, to, to underpin it. I really love the vocal bridge in the song. Mm -hmm. there, there is a, a once again a chorus of tones, a chorus of voices singing. It's it's a beautiful harmony, and each and every voice in that chorus is earnestly singing to the person that he loves so much. This this song, <laughs> it's it's one of those songs that um, the first year of listening to this album, I never would have thought that it would end up as deep into my soul as it has. But how many times? It's not a song that you can. Uh, I can't just grab someone and say, "I want you to listen to this song." I, I really love this song, and you play it to someone, and they will hear a love song, and they will hear someone singing nicely, and it's a good melody and stuff. But that it takes time, and it takes real. You know, it needs to seep into you. And that's how this song got to me. So um, I'm kind of curious. You're obviously coming to this from a much fresher perspective, but you seem to uh, to feel a lot like me, at li if, if not as deeply, I don't know. But uh, does this song strike you like that? Well, this is one of the, like you said, the first time through the album, I kind of overlooked it. And then each time that I would go listen to it a little more, um, I would find myself thinking about... I think I find myself thinking about this song 
into the next one and it's basically because like you said like you say it, it's a it's a beautiful vocal performance especially right at the start the very first yeah. verse and one of the things that hits you as you go through the lyrics is that this is a person with whom he's had a long time relationship it's not the sort of song you write as a love song to someone six months into a relationship. Right. You look through it. This is a person if they haven't spent a lifetime with them. They've spent at least a, a big chunk of time. And some of the some of the things, like I say, that are so personal that 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 you you feel like you're intruding on a conversation. You know, some of with the structure of asking questions. You know, how many times do we do this, and how many days did we do this? You know, like the how many times did we avoid the sheriff's gun? Well, we're not intended to know what that means as listeners, but the person for whom he's writing the song knows exactly what that means. And I think that's part of what makes this such a deep and resonant song, is it, it's romantic in the good sense of the term, not in the not in the trite, poppy sense of the term. So I think one of the things that, that I really like about it is it's a very mature song and, and mature songwriting. And this is one of the ones that I would expect that over the next, you know, as, as this now becomes part of my musical life as well going forward, I'm sure this is one that will continue to grow as, as the years go by. Um, up to this point, it's it's I've got it in at number six right now, but I I can imagine that eventually this would mean this this might be the one that I would pull the CD off the shelf just to listen to at the right time. Exactly, yeah, that's that's where I found myself too with, with this song. And before before we get into the ranking of everything, I have one more thing to mention. There is actually uh, one of my favorite bass lines on the album is in this song, and it's very understated. You hear it in the verses. Where it's a very punctuated, almost 70s, I, I hesitate to say funky bass line, but it's very rhythmic. Unfortunately, called it a bopping baseline in my notes. But it, was a, it was a it was a very interesting baseline. I agree that it, it fit it fit very well and played off the guitar figure that overlapped it. It's it's very good. It, I mean, this is a baseline that your average bass player wouldn't wouldn't be able to play. This is this is someone who who masters the four stringed beast again. But it's incredibly understated. It never gets in the way of anything. But it, the musicianship is unquestionable. I think, like you say, this is one of the things that differentiates how masterful he is on the bass is how subtle he is as a player and how musical he is as a bass player. Yeah. It's not trying to be some crazy kind of flea thing or Larry Graham thing. It's it's very much a, very much musical and subtle the way that he's done it. Absolutely. Yeah, I fully agree. So this song, this song has so much going for it, and it's definitely one of my favorites. So I'm using the the best place I yet have available. This song is to me number three.
this brings us to song number 12, The mm -hmm. Man with the Hooded Face. Now this is um, going back to the discussion of Tony trying to be all the bands that he has loved. I, mm. I don't know who he, who he really is here, but I hear a lot of Thin Lizzy in this song actually. Primarily yeah. because of the dual guitars, very Thin Lizzy inspired, and also the way the song riffs. This is back to slabs of guitar again. So the man with the hooded face uh, rocks, but it's 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 not like an out and out rock song. It it is a song with a rock expression, uh, but the song itself it it's got one of those little mysterious topics that go with it. So it doesn't overstate the music. It goes hand in hand with with that. And once again, you have the title, the man with the hooded face. Um, anyone else think of Robin Hood? First off, no. <laughs> <laughs> obviously it's not a song about Robin Hood. Uh, it's um, it's a song. It's a it's a different thing. The first thing you notice when you start looking at the lyrics, there's a lot of little lady in here. He's definitely singing yeah. it once again to a lady. He has great love and affection for this little lady. But once you read down and read into the lyrics, you see that this person has let her down. He has disappointed her and that he is disgraced. Doesn't say what it did. That is the mystery of the song. It doesn't say. You can speculate based on a lot of things. Basically, little lady, you're all I've wanted. There's real love in this song. He, he, his expressions are very clear. But uh, I hope we can make it through two more years and we can see if things can be the same two more years and I'll be on my way home to you so I'm thinking this is a guy who did something and got jailed uh, which I'll get back to in a minute yeah, I think uh, when he says in the chorus, there's no reason, there's no place, there's no future for the man with the hooded face. There's nothing left for a man who's been disgraced, no freedom for the man with the hooded face. So his freedom is stolen and he's done something. And he apologizes, he says, little lady, I'm sorry I made you sad. I always knew you believed in me. I only wanted us to have the best. So without getting too, uh, too literal, I don't know if this guy tried to rob a bank to get money to, to build a future with this lady. Like the masked robber which is another hooded face thing. But also there's the fact that he was caught, he was disgraced, everybody knows he did it, he's in jail, and like he says, there's no freedom for the man with the hooded face. And the hooded face could also be because he has to hide, he's disgraced, he can't look people in the eye, so he's shielding himself. And he's sitting in jail being disgraced, very apologetic, saying, I only wanted to, to make the best, I wanted to build a future. And that's what it is. And um, as far as the topics... This song has some fantastic lyrics. I'm thinking of some sp specific lyrics. Some Stuart-worthy lyrics. Where he says, A desperate man finds desperate ways to find his dignity. But they're the wrong ways. Yeah, I love that line too. I think that line is the key to the song if you only understood what it meant, what it, what it was about. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, I'm serious. You know, I mean, it, what, what on the surface, what it, what it could be is that, you know, you understand that especially when a, when a young man is trying to make his way in the world and he, has, he comes from a lower economic class and he doesn't have the money, you know, he's look, he doesn't feel that he has his dignity. And so he's looking for a desperate way to find that and, and commits a crime in order to get the money so that he feels that with the money will come his dignity. 
And I, and I really do think in, in that song, that, that lyric is a brilliant lyric, and I think it's the key to the song, but I think Tony would have to explain to us what it really meant. But I think in the context of the song, we, we have a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's my take on the song as far as what it's about. Like the man with the hooded face, the face he needs to hide because he's disgraced and uh, he's lost his freedom. So we'll see. So he's singing a song to the little lady and not knowing if she's still there for him when, when he's out. And the last thing I'll say about the lyrics, it's kind of interesting if you look at the lyric sheet. I'm looking at uh, John F. and G.'s site and the last lyric on the song is Ha Ha. <laughs> so I'm just kind of figuring that's really not part of the lyrics. I, I bet that's something that Tony threw in there because that doesn't make sense whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, JF and G, you, you, you can't trust them. Um, but uh, the man with the hooded face, like I said, it's back to the guitars again. And the, there's, there's a section of the song into it. It has great understated harmony vocals. Like they're... They're not singing out to the full voice, to, to his heart's desire. They're, they're understated. And on top of that, you have the dual guitar playing on top. Very Sinlissi inspired again. So I, I see that as perhaps being leaning in that direction for sure and also the the lead lines there's a lot of guitar lead lines playing almost throughout the song mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's hard to just pick out one but but you hear them and they're there and it's it's such a spice it adds something to, to that song and again like like with most of the songs on the album really great harmony vocals yet again yeah i agree especially in the final chorus mm -hmm. uh you know, there's some changes there that are just really terrific Yeah, you know, it's funny, that, uh, Thin Lizzy is what I was thinking of as well when I first heard this, um, but the other thing that hit me was, this was, you know, if you think about late 90s, early 2000s Oasis, you know, where they were doing a lot through the sort of power chording type songs, you know, Liam Gallagher singing this song would actually sound really terrific. Um, the, the part that hit me with this was that this is clearly, well, first off, if Tony's romantic relationships, uh, or, or if the songs are autobiographical, that's the right way of saying it. He's obviously had a pretty complicated life. This is a really <laughs> interesting song about a man who is desperately trying to convince his his woman not to leave him for the next two years and to still be there when he comes back mm -hmm. after he's atoned for whatever's disgraced him. And that this is one that he is directly, of course, you know, singing to this woman saying, stick with me, we'll figure this out. I know that I, I know that I messed up but wait for me, and I'll. And in two years, we'll have figured this out, you know. And there's 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 sort of a, a desperation with it. So of course, the obvious question is, you know, why is he the why is he the hooded face? Why has he been disgraced? Um, I do think you're right. You know, I actually didn't pick up on this right away, but that's why there's no freedom for him, the man with the hooded face, for that period of time. But there's, it's on this one. The guitars were the highlights musically for me. Um, for some reason, you know, I noticed that the drumming didn't seem to be... This is one case where the drumming actually stood out as not being up to par with the rest of the musicianship to me. And I don't know why I focused on it on this one song, but it's one thing that I almost found distracting was how straightforward the, the, the drumming was. Ocean, 
it's interesting lyrically because it's pleading for the woman to wait for him and the music fits that same desperation the trying to implore them to 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 stay so it's it's an interesting emotion and and one of the things that hits me with with Tony's songwriting is this is another case where it his his songs are basically snapshots of very specific moods or very specific points in time and very specific events you know this is a song that's intended to be that final showdown before he's going away for 2 years and he's having his final interaction with the woman who he wants to wait for him and so some of that desperation is that he knows he's not going to get another chance to talk to her anytime soon and so that desperation comes across both in the music and in the lyrics and that's something that you know mm. throughout the whole album here the the lyrics often seem to point to a specific mood or a specific point in time yeah they do that's a good rap how do you rank it well, you know, this is one that, that, that this is one that bounced all over for me up and down. I ended up putting it pretty much right in the middle at number eight. Okay, not a bad place considering it's got some stiff competition. It does. Uh, it's very close for me. I have it at number seven. So now I've turned my life around. Yeah, one, two. But I still want you. Take it away. Yeah, so this is one that it makes you wonder when when I'd mentioned before that, you know, it's there's some very complicated and interesting relationships that Tony describes on this album. And at one point I was trying to see if they actually if there was a timeline through the songs here that, that told a story as well. And so this is one that I that I wondered about because this one just follows right on the man with the hooded face where he's saying goodbye to a woman that he's going to be away from for two years and then his immediate spoken word acapella line here is so now he's turned his life around one two I don't know if the two means the two years he was gone or if that's just a one two intro for the music but it does if you want to look for it sort of play as the flip side of the hooded face mm -hmm. except that in here it seems like that he's gotten a dear john letter during those two years and so this is him actually singing so now this isn't him singing so much to the woman but it's almost like he's singing just to himself to console himself because he's now alone because she's left him So he still has very complicated feelings for the woman who gave him a Dear John letter, mm -hmm. but he's sort of defiantly looking for how he's, he's showing his bravado of how he's going to go out into the world and recover. And is that to show her she's wrong, or is it an attempt to get her back? You don't know. But what you do know is that he thinks he's bottomed out from whatever disgrace he's had previously, and now he's trying to move forward. But during that time, she, the, the woman left him. And so it's a very complicated set of emotions that he's trying to describe within this. And um, 
I think that there's there's some very direct and uh, simple, effective lyrics in here that um, that speak to separation and longing and loneliness. That once again show the difference between someone who can really write a love song and not just have it be a moonspoon June sort of trite sort of love song. The musically the one that this reminded me of again because again me thinking of who would be covering this this sounded a lot like a run rig song to me in terms of how the melody sets up and how the guitar set up and the way the vocals the the vocal choruses set up here and the melody um, it's actually a very interesting melody that lays through this so um, mm. I think it's a it's a sweet and simple lyrics in some ways that really do speak to, to longing but I think what's interesting here is that he's singing to himself but there aren't as many that directly are speaking to someone. The only time that he's actually speaking to someone is a third party who's asking him questions. Sort of speak to him trying to get it out of his system and talking to other people, maybe even why he's still wherever he's been the last two years and finding that he's now alone. So when he comes out of whatever he's through, he's going to find himself alone, but he still wants her wherever she is. So mm -hmm. I actually, you know, in, I don't know if this is an intentional companion piece to The Man with the Hooded Face or if I'm just reading into things that are not there, but when you take it from that side, they do seem to fit together pretty well. Yeah, they do. I, I never thought of it that way, but now that you mention it, and uh, especially the one-two that he opens with, which I always took as a count-in. But of course, in the previous song, there's two years, mm -hmm. and uh, I never saw it like that, so that's brilliant. I, I don't have too much to add as far as the lyrics. He's definitely at peace with himself. I, I, I don't get anger. I don't get... Um, well, he, he's gotten over it, but he still has feelings for this woman. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I think he's in a good place. And he kind of realizes that it's over, but uh, like he says, and like he thinks over and over at the end, I still want you wherever you are. It's a very sweet sentiment. And he says it. gotten over it it's fine and um, he never really got to say goodbye I think that's the sense of unfinished business that she wrote this dear John letter John F and G and um, <laughs> and uh, that that was the goodbye and he didn't really see her they didn't really say goodbye so yeah his heart was broken but um, the song he's in a good place and whether he's actually moving towards the big time or, or has a dream, it, it seems like it's more like he actually is. But uh, that despite how successful and, uh, and rich and famous he is now or about to become, that doesn't change the fact that he still wants this woman. And that's uh, a very touching sentiment. Yeah, that's where he gives himself away with all the bravado about what he's going to accomplish. You know, still wanting her wherever she is kind of shows that the shell isn't really there and then there's still the spot inside that he's looking to fill with her. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's a need of closure. You, you can't get closure from a Dear John letter. <laughs> you just can't. <laughs> there's no way. So th that's a very sweet message, really. That um, there, there's, a, there's a, 
a sensitive thing and it's a very tony like song it's it's again it's a hard on the sleeve thing and it's mm. making positive of something or, or trying it but not hiding your feelings so i think it's great it's a very earnest declaration of love to this person who sent the dear john letter who clearly should know better and don't know what she's missing uh, but uh, yeah apart from that i, I think it's a, this is a very pleasant song i think very n- nice melody great harmonies but i can't highlight a lot of stuff like there's this breakdown with this bridge it's not like that it's more like a complete whole that from mm. beginning to end it's just very pleasant and more about the message and the lyrics and it ends on that note that I still want you wherever you are so now I've I think that that's what the song is. Need not more, not less. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, there there are parts though. The the lyric that I focused in on there was the part where, you know, this emotional struggle, this fight that we've had, it's meant so much to me emotionally. But I've just finally reached the point where my gas tank is empty. There's just nothing left, and I've made up my mind. I won't cry anymore. And so it seems to me that the woman has reached that point where she's just become emotionally exhausted. The bank account, the emotional bank account is empty, the gas tank is empty, and there's just nothing left. And so she won't cry anymore. But he's not quite yet to that point. So this is one of those cases where, again, it looks like, in a couple of other songs as well, the woman reaches the emotional state before Tony does, and Tony is left sort of reacting to the state of the, the woman who is ahead of him in the relationship's life cycle, if you will. I never took those words to be the woman's words, though. I don't think we—I don't think the song reveals how the woman feels. Well, eh, I wonder if it could go both ways. It could, but we don't know. Yeah, because he's the one that got the dear John letter, so that's why I was—that's why I had it in. Oh yeah, for, for, yeah. Obviously, when 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 someone writes that letter, there yeah, there's um, either the feelings weren't deep or they were all spent. Anything else? Or oh, yeah, ready to rank it? I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. Well, for me, because, you know, this is one of that, that patch of ones that all kind of fall in the middle. So I gave it a 10, but I could see putting anywhere from 7 to 11 on a, depending on how I felt that day. Yeah. So I'm going to go with 10, though. 10 is not too bad, and it's very close to my own. I actually put it at 11. So it, it is a nice song, a very pleasant song, but uh, mm-hmm. it stops there. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> not, it's not a bad place to stop. There are many songs that never get to that level. last song on the album is Everyday. Everyday is the finale. It's um, 
what a finale it is. It feels like a finale. It's it's the second song which is close to sounding like an epic on this album mm-hmm. after the title track. So the album definitely starts with an epic. And uh, I'm not sure if I would call every day an out and out epic, but it definitely has a gigantic build. And uh, the chorus is like the the cornerstone of the entire song. That is that is a ferocious build to 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 an enormous sounding chorus. It builds yeah. all the time. The bridge is very powerful too. But those choruses, man, they have a lot going for them. They 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 just have momentum at that point. So uh, j- before we go totally into the the chorus, just to look at the themes of this song, like every day. One of those titles that don't give any as- associations, then you, you kind of want to start digging into it and what what is it really about? And uh, like Tony says in the liner notes, the family is on the album, and like he says, poor family. And literally in this song, they are a poor family. This uh, this is a poverty song, a poverty epic, if you will. So all three kids have a line like, "Mommy, can I have a playground? Can I have a drink, please?" and just uh, no, you can't. And where's that? <laughs> where, where's Daddy? He's watching the telly again, which gives kind of the impression that yeah, here's this lazy bum that like, his family is in poverty row and uh, he's doing nothing but watching TV. But right, right away, you have a line like, "I shed a tear after watching the news." And it's um, it's deeper than that. This is not just a lazy bum watching TV. It's a guy who doesn't have a job. He's trying his best, and seeing on the news a lot of people in the similar situation. So he's not the only one. In fact, most people are in a bad situation in this song. It describes a future where, especially water, seems to be a, a commodity. Like the planet is drying out, which again ties into that whole blue and green planet. That there's. There's an environmental aspect to the song, very much so. So, uh, so water is a scarce commodity in this uh, this dystopian, futuristic landscape that I imagine this song to be about. So, not enough rainfall, not enough water. I like to water my roses. I like to wash my old truck. It's basically describing the situation, and uh, the, the chorus is kind of the clincher. water means no life for me. Grim. Super grim. This is the last song on the album. He's taken us through lots of problems, personal issues. Uh, the album kind of starts with poverty. Someone who's lying in a ditch and with no prospects. And it ends with someone who's not exactly lying in a ditch. But the, pr- the prospects are, if anything, grimmer. Because there's a family and th- there doesn't seem to be a way out which is uh, also a topic that you find in certain big country songs. And we talked about them when we talked about Steel Town, like East of Eden is one example. Uh, but uh, it's a grim song. It's it's one of those things that you, if you want to end the, 
album on a good note. I'm not sure if you get that good note here from the lyric perspective. So the music that goes with it, and this is really fascinating. I don't know if it's necessarily poverty. We're, we're thirsting. We're, there's a drought. We're, we're drying out here. And this is accompanied by a super epic and powerful musical statement where it's almost like the world is raging and come crashing down. And I guess that's the link we're looking for. And the final chorus especially, it has a lot of guitars on it, a lot of voices and thumping bass. This is one where Tony plays a more traditional rock bass. And uh, it seems like there are so many layers of guitar. The song is about to break down. It just builds and builds. And in that way, it has that epic feel. And I also love the outro guitar, that little line that is being played, very big country-esque. It so, um, yeah. yeah, so it, it that's that's everyday. I don't know if um, there doesn't seem to be a very positive way out for this family. No, you know, and the thing is, when you listen to this and, and you think about how do you end an album and what do you what do you end the album on? I guess I can understand leaving it for something that takes the reach away from the personal and back out to the global as the way to finish it and the and the music. Um, irrespective of the lyrics, is a really good, great, good to great <laughs> send-off for the album itself. So, you know, I actually, you said Blue on a Green Planet, and that's actually what I thought of the first time, too, is I thought this actually should have been the last song on um, on Why the Long Face instead of Blue on a Green Planet that I, I thought was a really nice up-tempo guitar song, but it didn't really leave me feeling like Why the Long Face had closed out. And if this had been the last song in Why the Long Face, I, I, I would have felt a little more sense of closure. You know, I actually think this, these lyrics work on two levels, and I think they're, I think they're, they're brilliant. I think they're complex in one way. And you see it in the chorus because it's mirrored in the line, no money means no life for me, and then later, no water means no life for me. Yeah. So I'm thinking that, you know, the person who's watching the telly because, they, because he doesn't have a job is understanding that in the same way that money is life in his world so that he could buy his roses, he could buy his old T-Bird and eat at good restaurants, that that's actually the same analog of the people that he's watching in a, in a poor country for whom water is life. For him, money is life. For those people, the water is life. So I actually think that the, the lyrics, which when they talk about water going through and even the hole in the ozone, well, but, but certainly the water, that water and money are sort of interchangeable currencies here and um, e even down to when there's there's not enough rainfall too many lives without a goal um, well that's that's that could be the same if rainfall is money as well so I actually I, I when I read this um, and I and I was hearing the lyrics what hit me is that he's trying to work on those two levels that in every person's life there's some resource that without they can't move on and they can't have life the people he's watching on the telly don't have any water, and so their life is defined by their lack of water. This person's life, who doesn't have the job, is defined by the lack of money. 
And mm-hmm. so, you know, when when you read the lyrics on that level, read it one time through for money and one time through for for water, they actually they tie into each other very well. Yeah, it does. It actually matches it quite well. And that's really that's really all that hit me. And I think you you described the music part of it very well. I'm guessing that Alex, Jake, and Joella are actually his 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 own children. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's his uh, wife at the time, Jackie, and the three kids they have. Cool. Yeah. So that that's it. They bring the family in here. So that I don't know if that brings it closer to home or if it makes it more cheesy. But uh, <laughs> I I, uh, I don't mind it. I think it's uh, it's a touch, especially it's the fact it's it's kind of like an early punchline because there's the where's daddy watching the telly again, and immediately you think of the slob who sits there watching TV all day. But mm-hmm. then but then you switch to him and he talks about how how it touches him to watch the news and see all the lack of hope and, and the stuff that is going on out there. And that turns it a little bit around. So that's a very early punchline, I think. Yeah, I agree, because I don't get the impression that he's watching the telly because he's a fat, lazy slob. I get the impression he's watching the telly because he's out of work, which it talks about, you know, a couple of verses later, and his pockets are empty and he's out of a job again. So, you know, I, I don't see him as someone who's just sitting on the dole watching TV all day. I see him as somebody who's lost hope because he doesn't know a way to find money because he doesn't have a way to get a job. Yeah, but at the same time, there's this tone in what's being said that where's daddy? Oh, he's watching the telly again. Again. Kind of like like they have this impression that um, perhaps uh, perhaps he could have done more. All that sound, he just wants to buy an old T-Bird and eat at good restaurants and shop expensively. So he's not necessarily being altruistic in his desire to um, to get money. That's a true statement. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. No, so everyday is a very strong uh, end topically, but also I think especially musically, it's a, it ends on a strong, very strong epic note. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it's a great album closer. I think the lyrics mean just as much on Tony's solo work as they do on any of the big country albums. But this mm. might be one where you let the music just take you away, and um, more so than the, than the lyrics. Yeah, definitely. I, I I definitely let myself be swept away by the music for sure. So how would you rank the song? Well, um, you know, as an album closer, I, I think it, it's partially because it's the last song and I'd run out of some other slots. So at the, when, I, when it came time to score it, I could only give it 11. All right. So not on your top half. Not on the top half. Right. No, I, uh, it is definitely in my top half. This, this is a song I've always liked. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll make no, no secret of it. It's primarily musically. I think it's an incredibly strong musical statement and as far as this song it's it's one of the strongest pure musical statements on on the album yeah. uh the lyrics are what they are i think um, i think they're a mixture really of you dreamer and blue on a green planet and uh neither of those are my favorite lyrics on a big country album so this wouldn't be either but uh, i think um I wish it didn't end on such a sad note, but I think I, th- I think musically still it's so strong, and especially the epic build-up of the chorus. So I end up on a five. Well, it is a great way to end the album. I, I really can't think of another song of these fourteen that would be better in the final slot. You have to have that way to sort of cleanse the palate after some of the emotional ones. So, really, this it seems like it, it's the only song that you could end it with from this album. It, it brackets the great unknown as a start and finish very well musically. Oh, it does. 
Yeah, definitely. And it has that very strong epic playout section, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big country tradition. The playout yeah. section, the, the song with the playouts, and this isn't necessarily a long one, but it's a very powerful one. And a lot of the others would not be powerful closers. This is a powerful closer. So, yeah, I agree that it could only really be this one. And the only um, problem I had with it really was that it was too short. It felt like it should keep on going. Yeah, to really build on that playout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see that. Having said that, though, it's the second longest song on the album. Really, when you average all the scores out? Yeah. It's the second longest. Not that long. It's like 5 minutes, 13 seconds, which is still a full minute shorter than The Great Unknown. But it's, um, right. but it's the second longest, and it, it, it could have had a, a great playout. Maybe, maybe Tone didn't feel there was need for it. I don't feel it's lacking something, but it could have been cool. It would have been cool to have it. So that's great. That's that's the great unknown. We we have gone through it, and uh, I know our collective rankings of the album. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. The great unknown ranked. I have kept tally of our scores, and um, the way this works, it's 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 the usual drill that we give scores one through fourteen in this case, and uh, I just add those scores together. So the higher the number, the lower you get on the list. So. Um, We'll start with the bottom. The bottom is Can You See Heaven with 27 points. Uh, going up, Mist in Your Moonlight has 22. But I Still Want You and Old Bunny has 21. Living Side by Side has 20. Every Day has 16. When the Trees Come Down and Pleasure Time both have 15. The Great Unknown 14. And The Man with the Hooded Face 13. That leaves the top four. And these are two doubles, people. So uh, on a on an equal second space with nine nine points each, how many times? And I believe in angels, and that leaves the golden top two songs, three points each: the May Queen leads her parade and Oblivion Road. A great pair, if you ask me. Uh, yeah, I have no complaints with that. Yeah. those great songs. Before we leave the album completely. Uh, Let's talk about the bonus tracks on a slight return. The New Frontier, My Heart is My Home, and Another Misty Morning are the three bonus tracks that you get on that version. I don't know, do you have any particular deep feelings for these tracks? Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if they were recorded at the same time as the other songs in the album were just left out, if they were outtakes that were added on later, um, you know, to get you to buy the album again when it was re-released on track, or whether they were written and recorded subsequent to that. Um, I would say that any anybody who's able to find the main album, the the first release, and and not the slight return version, you're not missing all that much to go ahead and just get the the main, you know, the first release that had the 14 tracks. With another misty morning, of course, that's one that's familiar to folks as you know one of the B sides of somebody else, and so most folks probably already have another misty morning from somebody else anyway. So yeah. um, there's nothing unspeakably wrong about those uh, songs it's just there's really no real driving reason to listen to them I think the the 14 songs that we just talked through on the main album those are all necessary listening I think the uh, new bonus tracks you can live without yeah I think uh, I, I definitely don't see them as part of the album thematically or even musically I, I feel very much they are made separately and it, it feels like they're made separately it doesn't feel like part of the whole that they would have been if they were made cut from the same cloth so to speak but uh, the new frontier definitely 
there, it has the interest of Mark on drums, but again, it's it's like <laughs> it could have been anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the song in itself, it has this slightly contrasting feel, the banjo, the that kind of treatment. It's kind of an odd track for Tony, really. Pro Tools experiment. You mentioned the liner notes about how he was using Pro Tools and got help from Mac. I was wondering if he just found a loop somewhere and built it around that. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. No, so I I see that as as an experiment, really, too. And it's pleasant enough, but it really doesn't feel like it's part of the album. And my heart, it's my heart's in my home is kind of in the same category. Very pleasant, good harmonies. Once the song is over, you don't remember it. Even though it has a nice little big country esque lead guitar line going in it, that's what I would remember. But I really don't have any strong feelings about it. And again, it doesn't feel like it's part of this thing. have been released as a single those these could have been decent b-side those but i don't really think they belong as part of the songwriting exercise of the main album no i don't think so either it's fine to have it there as a bonus track but uh, it, it, it's very definitely a bonus track it's definitely there should be a thick line after every day and before the three other songs <laughs> so as long as people keep that in mind it's it, I'd, I'd take them you know it's not i'm not annoyed that they're there but uh, they're definitely not cut from the same cloth as the other ones Another Misty Morning is very interesting because it's also a big country B-side. And I have to say, it's definitely the best song of these three that we have as bonus tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's another one with Mark, which isn't surprising because it has that big country connection. Maybe it was done as a B-side. Maybe it wasn't. I, I don't think Stuart and Bruce play on it at all. I think this is all Tony and, and Mark. Uh, the interesting thing about this song, we have to we have to talk about another misty morning a little bit because this song is unique in Big Country's chronology. That if you look at uh, the discography of the band in terms of straight chronology, this is the last recorded works released as Big Country in the recording era of Stuart Adamson. It's another yeah. misty morning. It's the last song on the last single, the, the third song on the somebody else. And that's very interesting because that that song is then one of the bookends of the Stuart Adamson-led era of the band, along with Harvest Home, the 82 version of Harvest Home from the first single. 
So the two bookends of the Stuart Adams Mira is Harvest Home and Another Misty Morning, which oh. is which is incredibly funny because Another Misty Morning is a song about wanking, <laughs> and there's no way about it, and you don't need to take my word for it. This is how Tony Butler introduced this song when he played it live. This is a song... I, I th- I, tr- I left a note on my kitchen table at home to try and find a Dutch translation for this word, but I completely forgot. Anyway, so in English, this song's about wanking. face I know her name I see her time and time again I close my eyes and then I wonder then I wonder why her face looks down on me as I walk on by makes me wonder why Is in a magazine, a stride, some turbocharged machine. I turn the pages and I wonder, and then I wonder why. Her eyes look down on my mouth, and my mouth goes dry. I really wonder why. I wonder why And I wonder if she danced for me And where those sleeves they close And I wonder if she'd strike my favourite pose And I wonder if she'd show for me And show me what she knows And another misty morning and go. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, uh, so there's no, there's no question. This is a song about wanking. Uh, I think uh, the thing about it is, I, I feel a little. I, I, I must say, I, I have a little weak spot in my heart for the song. Uh, not like it would be worthy of being ranked against the songs on the great unknown but when you look at what it's about it's not like that uh, it's it's not like a filthy song it's more like this guy stays at home watches tv sees someone he likes and he goes Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just gets this this thought in his head and or later in the song he reads a magazine starts seeing some glamour shots and he looks at them and he goes hmm and uh, that's really it's it's implied, so it's it's not like it's all laid out there. But I think I find it incredibly funny that a song about masturbation is a bookend, one of the bookends to the Stuart Adamson-led recording era of Big Country. I find that actually hilarious, and uh, I'm sure the band never saw it that way. I'm sure they never planned it that way. But that there you have it: the two bookends to the Stuart Adamson-led recording era is Harvest Home, a song about. Toiling, working hard, sowing the seeds of your labor, 
and a song about masturbation. Isn't that funny? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was not going to touch those lyrics, but since you brought it up, at least we now know at least there's some sex on the album. You know, <laughs> the, the thing that hits me is 1983 Stuart Adamson would probably have been appalled to know that that would have been the last song in their career. Um, I think, you know, 2001 Stuart Adamson would have that as sort of a winking nod and a joke. I think he would laugh, and, I, yeah. and that's what you got to do. It's 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 what it is, and obviously this this is not a song that would ever have been written or or published back in the day in the core days of big country, but uh, it made its way to a B side, and it's it's very much a B side. It's not a central work of big country. It's not meant that way. It's a laugh, and it's it's a fun song, but it's, it's still a bookend. Yeah, it is important to note, though, too, this was part of the reason why I wasn't all that enthused about the album when it came out. Because remember when this album came out, the, um, or at least I should say this way, when the Slight Return version had come out, still at that point, to me, the only one songs of his that I had, knew, had known were World on Fire and this one. So with the sample size of two lyrics, I wasn't expecting the sort of depth and, and profoundness and eloquence of the lyrics on the album, because... Another Misty Morning did not lead me to expect that sort of eloquence. No, exactly. That's uh, that's definitely true. But uh, yeah, it's uh, they, the guys have a sense of humor, and I definitely think this is this is a fun song. And we heard Tony introduce it live. It's definitely just you know take it for what it is. It's it's definitely not the next Harvest Home. It just happens to be <laughs> the bookend along with Harvest Home of that particular era. We pretty much talked our way through the album. Is there any uh, way to summarize the album? I mean, it's it's still fresh for you after 18 years. <laughs> so uh, how um, how has it sat? I mean, you you probably listened to it quite intensely. I did. I've I've listened to it pretty much nonstop in the background for the last three weeks. Since and the first thing that hits me is how much other great music do I have in the back of my closet that I just uh, ignored after a great <laughs> time or two? It's making me wonder what else is there that, I, that I've been missing. But this is really, I, I thought, when you, when you first brought this up, I thought this was really going to be a minor throwaway type release. And now this becomes an album that takes its place for me among the whole, the whole catalog of big country albums, especially filling that spot in between Why the Long Face and Driving to Damascus. You know, two mm. two years after Why the Long Face and two years before Damascus. So, yeah. Uh, I, uh, first, I just want to thank you for for bringing this up. And this is this is really a great lost album. Um, I I'm just stunned that there hasn't been more written about it and discussed about it over the years. And so, I'm sure anybody of the listeners who've made it through this far is probably really really trying to probably frustrated if they're not one of the first five people that found their copies but i would say this much keep after this until you find it because it is definitely worth your time this mm. is an album that should get more visibility than it gets oh definitely i remember a, a lot of people were really enthused about it but there were those who didn't like it people said well i listened to the album it didn't do it for me because it didn't evoke the same feelings that that the big country i, I know and loved it and I'm sitting there scratching my head and thinking, what the heck? I mean, is this now the benchmark? Does the, do new albums have to be as good as The Crossing, Steel Town, and, and The Sea? Or does it have to match the, the original trilogy that, that we all place on pedestals? Because if that is the benchmark for any new album, I, I will stop buying new music. I don't need to. <laughs> because nobody will meet that benchmark. And that doesn't mean that it's not a good album. 
Now, I will say there are some songs in here that does meet that benchmark for me. As an album, no. It, it doesn't climb to the pinnacle that those albums are. But I didn't expect it to. It actually is better than several of Big Country's albums in the catalog for me. I rate this incredibly high, probably higher than a lot of people. A lot of the stuff in, in, the, in these songs, they touch me so deeply. So, so I don't know. People, people can judge albums any way they want, obviously. But I feel if... If we dismiss this album because it's not a new The Crossing, uh, th- there's got to be something wrong with that. that. That's 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 not the benchmark. That that shouldn't be the benchmark. This is a Tony Butler solo album. <laughs> but I actually do think it fits in very nicely in the 90s output between Buffalo Skinner's Light Along Face, this, and Damascus. I actually think of people... Look, there were two big countries. There was the 80s big country and there was the 90s big country. And the tone of lyrics changed, the singing changed, Stewart's singing style changed across the 90s. Yep. If people are comparing this against early 80s Big Country, they're making a mistake. It should be compared really against 90s Big Country, and mm. I think it actually slots in fairly nicely with with Why the Long Face. It does. And if you're going to look for any solo stuff to uh, to really have the heart of, of Big Country, you'll find it more in Tony, I think, where, whereas um, Bruce has gone a different path. Mm-hmm. And it's a good path, but it's a different path. And uh, Stewart, when he eventually did Raphael's, some of it definitely had the trademarks, but it's also kind of a different path. I see Tony as, as being the one who, who gave this album and didn't make these four years between albums of the mothership totally barren. He actually filled the gap quite nicely. Yeah, I think it's important that you mention that this actually, of the three solo directions, I should say. This one actually seems to have stayed truest to Big Country. I, I've I've listened to the Raphael's album probably as much as you've listened to this one. That's my benchmark from that era. Yeah. But it's a radical turn away from the Big Country style. And it, it basically signaled the, frankly, the end of Big Country. Whereas this could have, con- could have really signaled a, maybe, a creative rebirth under different circumstances. And who knows what might have happened. Mm-hmm. And you, you get to learn Tony a, a lot over this album, and um, I would say that if if Stewart was was like the soul of the country, Tony was always the heart to me. And I think that's a wrap. How did you so. how did you feel about doing your first The Great Divide deep dive? Well, I have to tell you that, and uh, to the folks who are listening, anybody who's made it this far. Um, I, I want to thank Spine for carrying me this entire episode. I, I tell you, you know, for anybody who's listening who's interested in doing this sort of thing, Thomas Fine make this sound really easy. It is not easy at all. This is, I'm exhausted. You know, the, the, <laughs> the thing is, you know, it's especially to, to anybody who listens to this podcast, um, Big Country holds a special place in your musical heart. You're both music fans and you're fans specifically of this band and the people in this band. And it's really easy to listen to the music and be moved by it and to um, to have it really hold a special place in your heart. And it's it's even fairly easy to play it for your friends and, and say, listen to this part, listen to this. But what's really difficult is to take all the music in, think about it, contextualize it, and then try to describe it for people in a way that explains not just the music, but how the music makes you feel. It's actually much, much harder than it, than it sounds. So it, I have a lot of new respect for Thomas Fine for how effortless they make this sound and, and all the insights they bring to this. So thank you for letting me uh, to do this. And uh, thanks for Tom as well, Tom. So thanks for letting me sit in. 
It's our pleasure, Arlen. I think you you held your end marvelously. So I I mean that. Thank you for stepping up and. Oh, absolutely. As you know by now, the editing saves the show. Believe me. We're not, we're not qualified to do a live show. <laughs> well, I am getting a chance to peek behind the curtain, so I have lots of stories now that I can tell folks about what really goes on at a Great Divide taping. You better sell them expensively. <laughs> Maybe I'll put it on Kickstarter. <laughs> Somebody should put something on Kickstarter. Why not? All right. So thank you very much for listening. Um, look for us on Facebook. I'm not doing the thing that I don't like to do, but Tom, Tom is always good at doing it. In fact... I can patch in Tom from a previous episode doing, <laughs> doing, doing the promos. I'm going to do that right now. If you want to find us, go to our Facebook page. They can just search for The Great Divide Podcast. You can go to um, bigcountrypodcast.com to find the show. And as always, go to John's page. You can find us there too, bigcountryinfo.com. The great site from John Guvea, who's got a veritable crap load of stuff. And you can find us on Twitter now, too. So please, if you're not a, a follower of us on Twitter, please join us on Twitter. Uh, look for us. You can search for us uh, at Big Country Pod. That's how you find us on Twitter. And you can look for us the post on Facebook, too. We've got our Twitter address there. So, And you can send us an email at BigCountryPodcast at gmail.com. And that, that was great, Tom. Uh, thank you very much for that. And uh, apart from that, there will be another episode soon. We don't know the topic. We don't know who's going to be on it. If Arlen is up for another one, maybe he'll join me for another topic soon. Meanwhile, keep on rocking. Last words? Just a thanks. Okay, that's fine. We're done. We're out. It was very weird. Peculiar. It was kind of amusing. Yes, it was rather funny. It was incredibly funny. I loved it. Hilarious. Wonderful.